Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Adrian Brodeur is back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books a second time after her amazing memoir, Wild Game. Now she's back with a novel called Little Monsters. Adrian is the author of Wild Game, which I mentioned, which was selected as a best book of the year by NPR and the Washington Post and is in development as a Netflix film. She founded the literary magazine Zoetrope, All Story, with Francis Ford Coppola, and currently serves as executive director of Aspen Words, a literary nonprofit and program of the Aspen Institute. She splits her time between Cambridge and Cape Cod, where she lives with her husband and children. Welcome, Adrian. Thanks so much for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your novel, Little Monsters. Congratulations. Well, thanks so much for having me, Zibby. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. As you know, I was like the biggest fan ever of Wild Game as like everyone else in the world was, but I, you know, I still talk about it. I still think about it. I still, I mean, that moment when you came to our book club and like held up the necklace or remember, <laughs> would you know what I'm talking about? I, I know exactly what you're talking anyway, that about. That was like the coolest. So I could not wait to dive into this book and, you know, your writing is so beautiful and it did not disappoint in any way. It's so great to read how you are as a novelist. I don't know. It's so exciting. So tell listeners what Little Monsters is about. Well, for those of your listeners who have read Wild Game, it will come as no surprise that (laughs) I'm obsessed with family secrets and that they loom large in this book. So this book takes a kaleidoscopic look at a different family. Thank goodness, a fictional family, the Gardeners, which is a very small family. It's a family of three, a father and two adult children. And it sort of comes at this inflection point in all of their lives. So you know, just briefly, Adam, who is the patriarch, he's about to turn 70. He's really worried about his relevance in the world. He's a marine biologist, and he's determined to have one great discovery still on his horizon. Ken, his son, has just sealed a huge real estate business deal, which has sort of catapulted him into a new stratosphere of wealth. And really, his purpose or what it's what that wealth will enable him to do is, is run for office, which is his big goal. And then Abby, who's sort of the the younger sister, she's 38, Ken's 41. She has finally, finally, finally found her voice as an artist and is about to be discovered in a big way. So we know all these things as we come into the novel, that these things are at stake for each character. But we also know that they're kind of holding them secret, that there's the family's a little delicate and they're waiting for the right moment to, to make their announcements. And as it turns out, it's all coming to a head when these disclosures will take place at Adam's 70th birthday party, which is during the summer in August. And then when you start to realize as you move towards this big day is that things are not as they seem and the ground is shifting and everyone is is keeping secrets. Yes. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) One storyline is that Adam, the patriarch, is battling, you know, bipolar and uh, Mm -hmm. has a complicated relationship with his own meds. And what does he, you know, he has this massive intellect that he feels sometimes is inhibited by his medication. And he's like on the cusp of figuring something out. And so it's like, well, I can totally handle this. So in terms of mental illness and, and having a family member who as an adult, you are in charge of your own care. How do you handle that in like a family ecosystem and, and the choices that go into that? And then how, like, how are you thinking about it as you wrote about it? Right. I mean, well, Adam really isn't thinking about anyone but himself at that time. And he rationalizes it the way we all rationalize our decisions, but that he's, you know, no one's living at home with him. His children are adults. And he truly believes that if his mind is sort of liberated from the anesthetizing effects of his medication, that he will be able to connect these dots. So I feel like he's he's getting little hints, he's having dreams, he's writing things down, he's making connections, which in some ways, you know, we all can relate to in writing books or what have you. You're you're sort of listening and trying to make sense of these things. And he, yeah, he's excited about doing this and he makes this somewhat rash decision to go off his meds in order to succeed. 
So we have to see what happens then. <laughs> that, that, I don't want to give anything too big away. <laughs> I'm not going to say I won't go further than that. <laughs> you also have the setup with a journalist being wowed by Abby's work and her studio, and which is her late mom's studio and how she's just has this talent that is nascent in a way and about to, as you said, be explored and publicized a lot more. And I love how you give us this point of view from the external person who's coming in so that we all feel like we're walking on the beach and going through this interview and like learning about her. And, you know, I don't know, I could just like feel the the wind from the ocean and all of that because you make it so you know, multi-sensory. Tell me a little more about Abby and her character and even the the painting, the artistic side and how it contrasts or doesn't with the very scientific brain of, of her dad and then the like financial brain of her brother. Right. I mean, these are three wildly different characters, right? And they, they're all ambitious and they're all successful. And in some ways, I said it in 2016 because I felt that that was a moment where the ground did feel like it was shifting. And, you know, in, with Abby in particular, I was looking at a woman who was finally sort of finding her voice. And I think a lot of women at this moment in time can relate to that, even in ways that we didn't realize we were holding back our voices. So it was really thrilling to give her this sort of rising power of figuring out what she wanted to convey by her art and allowing her to do that, even though, you know, there could be serious ramifications because she was painting some very personal narratives. Yes. So, yeah, I found her a very interesting character who is evolving. I mean, I feel like with characters, some of them just, you know, are there on the page and arrive. You know, I I never had the experience before of a character arriving fully formed. And at least Adam did that for me. So why a 70-year-old bipolar narcissist just came that easily, but I swear I would put my hands over the keyboard and he would speak. And that was great. And with, uh, with every other character, it really was, you know, that process of having to write into them. You think, you know, them as the author, but you have to actually, you know, put them in situations where you learn a lot about them. So I feel, you know, really, I had to get several hundred pages into the book to understand who they were and then to allow myself to be surprised by their actions and all of that. So it was really, honestly, it was really fun to write a novel and have that kind of freedom to see who those people were. And for people who don't know the secrets you were referring to with Malabar and everybody from Wild Game, can you give just Mm -hmm. like a little preview of (laughs) a little snippet of Wild Game? (laughs) No, just of your family background and how it relates not to that book, but to this book based on your, like your, your own sort of what the baggage that we all bring to every piece of work that we do. Sure. And I, I come from a family of prodigious secret keepers and, you know, it didn't just start with my parents' generation, even the generations before there were half siblings and other families. And there was sort of all sorts of stuff. And having grown up in that environment, I feel so attuned to the (laughs) dark power that secrets have over us. I mean, I think John called them a young, sorry, as psychic poison. In as much as they keep the holder of the secret sort of alienated from his or her community. And so it was sort of liberating for me to 
you know, in in Wild Game, it was very much a, a particular secret, and it was my version of it. Obviously, it was memoir, so it was nonfiction, and and me walking through that that story. And what's sort of delightful about a fictional universe, of, of course, it's all made up, but that I could explore it in this sort of kaleidoscopic perspective, because this novel is told in multiple perspectives. And so you see what people think they know versus what they know, and they're always the these shifting layers, which I really enjoyed thinking about and writing about. You also touch on sort of aging in general and the generational shifts. Like, for example, Adam, when he sees his doctor um, and he's like, how did the doctor get so young? And why is the doctor not shaking my hand? And what about looking me in the eye? And, you know, I feel like it's this, you know, bumping up against culture and, and all of that as well. And there's a lot of that, as there is, you know, I'm sure at all of our dinner tables with our own children when they're aghast at our blunders with, you know, the current language. I mean, it's, you know, I think this is as old as time itself, right? These cycles of parents and children and how we go from being so darn cool to really so just abysmal. (laughs) (laughs) How involved are your kids and your work in general? Let's see. I scream, quiet. (laughs) And sometimes they're quiet. (laughs) Um, You know, actually, I I just, my kids are great. I, you know, Madeline has, my, my daughter has read this book and really loved it, which was fun. My son isn't a huge reader and I don't think is interested on that level. But when I come to a struggle or plot point in the book as I'm writing, I often just talk to my family about it, whether that's while we're on a drive or in a walk. And my son actually, what did he, he solved some big problems. So the outside character in the novel, there's a, there's a a secret keeper who comes in from the outside, who's not you know, officially part of the Gardner family, but has stumbled upon a secret that makes her very intrigued by them. I mean, it was my son who actually came up with how she could discover her identity. That was very mm. opaque, but I had to. Nice. Okay. Like the family banter. How would a character find out this? And it's, yeah. you know, they think so differently than I do. And it's fun. That's excellent. Oh my gosh. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. 
it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. When did you, like, which piece of this made you think, okay, this is going to be a whole novel? Like, what inspired it? Like, which piece? Right. I mean, I think, so I was on my wild game tour and I got sent home, like everyone got sent home in March of 2012. And I think I, I'm a very... 2020. I'm thank you. March 2020. I tend to be an intuitive writer. I don't, you know, people often ask sort of what I'm planning next and what I'm thinking about. So I'd say what happens to me is I start paying very close attention to where my mind seems to go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Mary Oliver said it best. She said, pay attention, be astonished, write about it. And that is very much the way I walk through my writing life. And so when I came home, which I was actually kind of happy to do after being on the road for so long, I I noticed I was just thinking a lot about siblings and sibling dynamics. Several of my friends have complicated relationships with their siblings. I have a lot of siblings from, you know, different step families. And I just, I kept circling that territory and then, you know, from their characters develop and from there you sort of start writing. And I I went to the original sibling story, of course, which is Cain and Abel looking for inspiration. Got so little from that story. That story <laughs> is so bare bones. Like, what happens? You know, God's like, yeah, you, you out. And I remember just thinking, what am I supposed to do with that? I thought it was... Gonna- <laughs> But I did find the structure there because that made me think, okay, this is an interesting thing to move towards, gift giving, that that might be a concept. And I didn't even really realize how firmly that had taken hold because I, you know, kept reading different versions and thinking, you know, I got nothing here. (laughs) But, you know, some little, you know, your mind collects things in such interesting ways when you're constructing a book. And I mean, it's such a cliche to say, but it's really like, you know, flying the plane while you're building it. Interesting. Tell me more. And I'm very aware of your work with the Aspen Institute and all the things you do to help so many other writers. But for people who might not know, talk about what it's like running that and how you got involved in that and what kind of resource that is for authors out there. Sure. Thank you. My professional background was as an editor, and I worked as an editor for years, first with a short story magazine, Zoetrope, then as a book editor. And then about 10 years ago, I did this lovely pivot to being a director of a literary nonprofit, which has been one of those 
wonderful experiences in my life where I've gotten to stay in this world that I love so much, which is all things literary, but tackling it from a new angle. And we have lots of programs at Aspen Words. We have a big summer writing conference. We have an annual literary prize, which celebrates a work of fiction that has a social theme. We have residencies. We just do all sorts of things. And we try to support writers from sort of fledgling to famous. And it's really been, it's been a dream job for me. I really enjoy it. Who is like the target audience for Aspen Words in the summer and all of that? Like, I know it's probably sold out at this point, but yeah, I mean, it's it's very different depending on our program. So, you know, we have an author speaking series that's really for, you know, people in the Roaring Fork Valley. Our prize is, you know, national and international. We want to celebrate strong works of fiction that also create dialogues around important issues. So I would say that is for everyone. And then Aspen Summer Words is really for writers who want to come and participate in a writer's conference where there are lots of workshops in fiction and nonfiction and poetry and every other thing. Amazing. Well, it was so fun going to the prize ceremony this year and hearing oh. all the great authors who were nominated. And Hopefully we'll get you to Aspen one of these days. Oh, yes. I do very badly with altitude, I have to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I took like altitude pills once that made me completely crazy and that kind of ruined that trip. But anyway, are you, yeah, you know. <laughs> we'll find you in other places. <laughs> I know. I'm dying to go. Um, I'm dying to go back. It's been many, many years. And so now that the novel is is coming out and it's so exciting, are you more tempted to dive back into memoir, personal essays, personal writing, or going into fiction again? Like, where do you see your writing career going as you as you plow forward? <laughs> I will say, I think I'm planning on sticking with fiction. We'll see if something comes up that moves me. You know, as I said before, I tend to sort of move towards where my heart leads me. And I have thoughts, you know, very embryonic where my mind keeps landing for the next book. And it's definitely fiction. And also, honestly, it's just, well, you're in the same boat having written a memoir and having, you have a novel coming out, right? Okay. So I will let you know that it is a lot more relaxing to be facing a novel's publication than a memoir, simply because, you know, you're obviously, your work is going to be judged, but it is, you feel less that your life is going to be judged, which mm. is really a different way. I was incredibly anxious before my memoir came out and I feel, you know, much more relaxed. I mean, that might change, but I'm actually really looking forward to this, this period of when I have conversations like these, because, you know, I think, what is that saying? No two persons read the same book. I mean, what's mm -hmm. wonderful about when your book comes out is that you actually start hearing what people think it's about, because it might actually be different from what you wrote about. I mean, you know what you're writing about, but everyone brings their own lens. And so it's really, it's such an interesting time, I think. And what books have caught your interest lately? Oh, I just finished you know, sharing parts of a title, Monsters by Claire Dieterer. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've read that yet. I haven't yet. But... Is such a fascinating examination of what to do and how to feel about the artists we love who might have been monstrous in their personal life. And she's just uh, got a brilliant mind and an interesting take. And I found it pure pleasure to read. 
I am in the thick. I've just started Abraham Vergesi's The Covenant of Water, which I've been waiting, you know, 10 years for because I loved um, cutting for stone so much. I I've actually feel like I've had a really fruitful reading period in the last few months. So just, you know, lots of great books. I always read our shortlist for the Literary Prize. So there were some wonderful works there. And I really love the winning book, The Haunting of Hachihotak. So it's been good. That's amazing. What advice would you have both for people writing memoirs and novels? And it can be one or both. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm a bore in terms of my advice, but my my best, biggest, most powerful advice is just to do it every day, to try to get into a rhythm. We none of us have time. It's it can seem like such an absurd thing to be doing alone in a room talking to characters, whether they are yourself or others. But you know, really, there's something about the diligence and discipline. And that is when the muse shows up. You can't wait for her. But if you do it each day, and and I am not a fast writer. I mean, on on my best day, you and I have had this conversation. On my best day, I think I write one page. But if you do that every day, you know, in a year, that's 365 pages. But when you're when you're really in it all the time, and, and that doesn't mean every day has to be a productive writing day, but when you're thinking about it and familiar with it and, you know, the themes interconnect, I'm a little bit like Adam wanting to connect the dots minus mm-hmm. going off medicine, you know, right. it just, yeah, yeah. it's just, that's how it all holds together, at least for me. I mean, I do know the people who go off to a hut and churn out a book in a month or, you know, in a night and it's amazing. It's not me. I understand. (laughs) And then my last thing is just you have such a gift of writing about the scenery and the the place in Cape Cod and, you know, just all the, it's just such a sensory experience reading your work, this one and Wild Game too, but it's very, it's almost escapist in how, how many senses you evoke and all that. So is that a deliberate writing technique? Does it just happen? Do you focus on it? I feel like it sort of just happens. I mean, that said, the Cape is an endlessly fascinating landscape for me. And I I do have to start writing about other places, I'm sure, because I don't know how many books I can do that are set there. But, you know, obviously it's a place of privilege and class and some people live there and some people somewhere there. But what really animates me is the natural world that's there. And you know, it's constantly changing by the hour, by the minute, the weather, the tides, the light. And it's also just, it's its so fragile. It's essentially a sandbar that is someday going to be swept back into the sea. And I think, I think our settings, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever environment we occupy, you know, mountains, plains, city, you know, these are all huge metaphors for life. But I, I find that when I'm writing it's such a, you know, when you're in your character's head, it's such a a break and a gift to be able to reflect deeply on a sensory experience. So you're going through plop, 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 but you also, you know, put a morsel of food in your mouth and you, you know, your, your cheeks, you feel that sour thing on the back from a, an apple or something. I mean, you just, all of that stuff just makes the reading experience, but it, it makes our living experience so much richer. And I think it's just about slowing down and noticing. It's like a meditation. 
Isn't that what you're supposed to do when you meditate? Like notice all that stuff? Yeah. (laughs) I don't meditate, but I, you know, I think, I mean, honestly, I think of writing as, you know, meditating in some ways because it's this thing I do for myself and I do slow down and I do think, I mean, I guess you're not supposed to think when you meditate, but I do, you know, you experience deeply when you're writing, I think. Yeah. I think it counts. (laughs) Okay. Check. Now, if I could just work exercising into that, I get my fingers going. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, congratulations. You're just such a beautiful writer. Congrats on Little Monsters. And uh, I'm so excited for it to come out. Oh, thank you so much. I've really liked having this conversation. All right. All right. Bye, Adrian. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.